Next week, I'll be preaching a standalone message on the gospel and baptism and communion. And then after that, we're going to begin our summer series through the letters of First and Second Thessalonians. This morning is our final sermon in the gospel of Luke. And if you're like me, it just feels good to finish things. I know some of you will actually add things to your to-do list that you've already finished just so you can check them off, right? Um, on September 11th, 2016, so almost three years ago, almost three years ago, September 11, 2016, I had the privilege of opening the sermon series, and I feel privileged to close it this morning. We didn't only preach Luke for three years, although I guess we could have. Uh, we did Second Samuel and Job and a few topical sermon series, like our study through Advent one year where we did the five solas. But here we are. 89 sermons later finishing the Gospel of Luke. Now, not that it was a competition, but Jason did 43, I did 36, Ben Bechtel did 6, Scott Dunford did 2, and our faithful summer intern Noah Gwynn, I don't know if he's here in this service or next, did (laughs) 1. And we're glad, actually, this summer he's going to be around again, uh, starting another, a second round of summer internships. So he didn't, he didn't learn enough last summer, I guess, so he's got to come back. Uh, he'll be with us again starting in a few weeks, although he's playing whatever that box is <laughs> this morning. So follow along with me in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to be reading verses 50 through 53, the final verses in the gospel of Luke, and then we'll pray that the Lord would be our teacher. Then he, that is Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, He blessed them, says his disciples. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God for it. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we... It was said earlier in the worship service, we don't often think much or even speak much about your ascension. But those lyrics from the song were true. You have risen now to reign. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word, we would behold you sitting on a throne. And our confidence in you and your goodness and your rule and reign over our lives would be heightened this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The months of May and June are graduation season. So some graduate from middle school to high school, some from high school to college, and some from college to whatever's next, right? My youngest sister this weekend, actually it was yesterday, uh, was at the University of Liberty and, and had her, her graduation. She graduated with a nursing degree. And as I understand it, she's received a few job offers. And over the next few weeks, will be making decisions about how she'll use her degree and where which hospital she'll use her degree, degree at. And that's typically what you want, isn't it? Right To make use of all that knowledge and education and effort and time and money. We want to make use of the knowledge we gain. 
Recently, my wife and I were asked uh, whether or not we've ever used our engineering degrees. And, and it came from friends, so it was like, it was, a, it was a totally fine question to ask. But I do know more than once my wife has been asked whether she was using her degree or not as a stay-at-home mom. And it hurt a little bit. Um, I'm not a woman or a mother, obviously, but watching things from the outside, it looks hard. Simultaneously, you're told to be pretty and make money and manage your house, have perfect children and so on, and that, that's hard. Mother's Day is both wonderful and also difficult. But regardless of whether you went to college, graduated from college, or whether or not you're using your degree or not, I do know that Luke wants us to not waste all of the knowledge and effort we've put into studying his gospel. And to be clear, he does want us to gain knowledge. He wants us to have certain and firm knowledge about Christ. That was his aim in writing this book, the book we call the Gospel of Luke. I want you to look back again with me at his opening verses from the gospel. They'll be on the screen. This is how he begins his book, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty Concerning the things you have been taught. How would you summarize the opening of Luke's gospel? If you're going to put it in your own words, what would you say? I think I'd summarize it something like this. Mr. Theophilus, we've heard things about Jesus from eyewitnesses and apostles. And I've researched it all. And I present this volume to you that you would have certain and firm knowledge about Jesus. The book of Acts is Luke's second volume, which also is addressed to this man named Theophilus. But we don't really know hardly anything about Theophilus. Perhaps he was a wealthy Gentile, so Gentile meaning a non-Jewish person. Perhaps he was a wealthy Gentile who bankrolled or commissioned Luke's research to write the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. We know that Luke was a Gentile and a physician. So in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14, Paul speaks of Luke as a Gentile and a physician. One thing that might surprise you about Luke is that he never met Jesus, as far as we know, during his earthly ministry. It surprises most people when they hear it for the first time. Everything that Luke learned, we believe, he learned through research and interviews with eyewitnesses of early church leaders. So perhaps someone like Mary, Jesus' mother, likely with Peter, and most certainly with the Apostle Paul. We don't know what the initial connection was, but Luke teamed up with the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. We know this because in Acts, so the, the actual verse is 16.10, so chapter 16, verse 10, but as Luke is narrating the book of Acts, All of a sudden, in chapter 16, verse 10, he uses the word we. 
we did this, we did that. And all of a sudden, Luke is in the story. He's not just narrating the story. Luke traveled with Paul, perhaps as his friend and personal physician, which is a good thing if you have a friend who's a physician who travels with you, if everywhere you travel, you get beat up. (laughs) It's good to have a personal physician and friend who travels with you. After Luke's introduction, so those first four verses we read, from Luke chapter 1 verse 5 all the way to Luke 24 verse 53, we have the story of Jesus Christ. And Luke is giving us knowledge, firm and certain knowledge about the person and work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So if that's where Luke begins expressing his desire to give us knowledge about Jesus. Where does he end? A fitting end to the gospel of Luke is the disciples worshiping with great joy. I just want to read it again. They're so short. Let me read it again. This is where the disciples, and I believe he wants us to be as well. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. As they're blessed, then they go and bless God in return. The Gospel of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. Not in terms of chapters, but in terms of word count and verses. And Luke's two-volume contribution to the New Testament of Luke and Acts makes his contribution the single largest contribution of any one author to the New Testament. So longer than what Peter and Paul... um, Paul contributed to the New Testament longer than what John and and Matthew contribute to the New Testament. But his ending is very abrupt to Luke, that is. In some ways, the book of Acts is as well. We don't have the content of this farewell blessing speech. We do read of Jesus like a high priest raising his hands and speaking blessings over his people, but then he's gone. One scholar, as I was studying it, He had this to say, the account of the ascension is quite short. Luke has already written more than most papyrus rolls contained, and he is clearly hastening to the end of this volume, writes Leon Morris. I chuckled at that when I read it, because it's kind of a funny image, isn't it? Luke's writing and writing, and he turns the scroll and writes some more, writes some more, and he realizes all of a sudden, oh no, I'm at the end. I better finish up. Right? That, that's sort of like the image we're being given there. And I don't think that's exactly what happened or maybe even what that commentator was saying. But I, I, I know the feeling. I know there's sermons where I've spent so much time at the beginning. It's sort of like I just give it one sentence at the end to conclude. I'm like, I better finish. <laughs> but I don't think Luke simply ran out of space. His final account, while brief, is highly intentional. Luke is an excellent historian. A very meticulous researcher and a brilliant writer. Even secular historians attest to those things. If he didn't speak of miraculous things, he would be, uh, without exception, uh, one of the most brilliant historians of all time. I say the miraculous just because that throws people for a loop. 
I'm not sure what to do with him. But I can tell you this just from personal testimony. Dozens of times over the last three years, I went into studying a particular passage thinking I knew a particular story in the Gospel of Luke well. So some miracle account or a, a you know a parable or whatever, whatever it was. I went into that thinking, okay, I know this passage well. But yet the, the, the act of studying it in the context of what Luke was doing only heightened my awareness of how gifted Luke was in presenting to us the knowledge of the Christ. So Luke is highly intentional about what he writes and how much he writes and where he places what he writes. He didn't just run out of space. Luke's ending here is a fitting ending to where he began. He began saying, I want you to have firm, certain knowledge of everything you've already been taught, Mr. Theophilus. So I'm giving you, Theophilus, Knowledge of Jesus. And, and I want it to be firm. So, so not something fluffy knowledge, like a cloud that's kind of loose and it hangs around. But I want you to have knowledge that's firm and fixed. Like a building's foundation. It's been poured into with yards and yards of concrete. And rebar as thick as your wrist. I want you to have firm, certain knowledge, Theophilus. So Luke begins... In the temple, with the announcement of the miraculous birth of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. Then angels announced the birth of Jesus, singing about good news of great joy. Then Jesus grows up and he baffles the religious leaders with the questions he asks as a young man. The public ministry of Jesus begins with his baptism, where God the Father speaks blessings over his boy. As the Holy Spirit descends, you, says the Father, are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. And that's the first three chapters. The shape of the foundation of the knowledge of the Christ is being excavated for us, and now Luke begins to fill it. And chapter 4 opens with Jesus doing battle with Satan in the wilderness, where He extends three temptations to Jesus to avoid suffering. And Jesus says, no, no, and no. Then Jesus preaches in his hometown of Nazareth saying, today, the great hopes of the Old Testament were being fulfilled in him. Then in chapter 5, Jesus calls his first disciples to himself. And after a huge catch of fish, after they had caught nothing the night before, Peter falls to his knees in holy fear before Jesus. In chapter 6, Jesus declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath. In chapter 7, Jesus raises the son of a widow. And another woman falls at his feet, weeping, wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair, worshiping him. The foundation of the knowledge of the Christ becomes more firm. In chapters 8 through 15, Jesus heals men, drives out demons, feeds 5,000, commissions followers to go speak on his behalf of his rule and reign. And he tells his most famous parable of all, the chief parable of parables, about a father's love for his two sons. One son, a rule breaker, another son, a a religious rule follower, and he loves them both. And the foundation of the knowledge of the Christ becomes even more firm. And then in chapter 19, Jesus rides into Jerusalem, hailed as king. He weeps over the city. He confronts the religious leaders, telling them that the stone 
The stone the builders has rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. He goes to the cross where he takes the punishment for the sins that we deserved. He rises again on the third day. Then he appears to his fathers. He explains to them from the Bible about his mission to reach the nations with the gospel of forgiveness of sins. He promises to his disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming. and He's going to empower them to live the Christian life. And then after all this, he's taken back up into heaven as he utters priestly blessings over his people. The ending of the gospel of Luke may be abrupt, but it's intentional. With all that knowledge, the knowledge of the miracles, the knowledge of the parables, the knowledge of his sermons, the knowledge of the Father's love and truth and mercy and grace for his people. Luke wants us to see that the fitting result of all that knowledge is this. Worship with great joy. The ending to the gospel of Luke may be abrupt, but it's intentional. Worship Jesus with great joy. The Christian life is not an easy life. If it's always easy, you're probably doing it wrong. The Christian life is discipleship that can often lead into sacrifice and suffering. There are heartaches and unmet longings in this world. Luke knows this. He experienced all that. But I believe Luke here at the end of the gospel, if he was telling it to us firsthand, if he was reading it to us, he would then want to look us in the eyes and say, church, if you don't have moments of good news producing great joy over the knowledge of who Jesus is for you in the gospel, then you might not have the knowledge of Jesus in the gospel. Your great joy doesn't have to look the same way that it looks in other people. Some of us, or few of us, are more expressive. And some of us are not so expressive, or perhaps many of us are not so expressive. But if the sum of your Christian life is drudgery, then you might not know the Christian life. The gospel of Luke is God's invitation to you and I of good news and great joy now and forever and ever. There's another way to speak about endings though. The ending of the gospel of Luke and really all endings. One ending is the beginning of something else. Last week at church we announced Jason, uh, pastor here for seven years, is going to be transitioning with his family to serve a church in Chicago. Now, I was already co-senior pastor, and I guess now I'll be assuming the more traditional role, not of co-senior pastor, but of um, just co- or just, just, just senior pastor. I'd rather just be teaching pastor for what it's worth. Um, But since Jason is leaving, it's probably appropriate that now we would start, or I would start mentioning Jason in my sermons in ways that pick on him and poke a little fun at him. He's the one leaving us, right? Might as well take a few shots at him, which if you know Jason, this would bless him. Would speak his love language. So I do want to use Jason's transition as a little bit of a sermon illustration. But unfortunately now, in this sermon illustration, Jason is in parallel with Jesus. Um, 
So you're going to have to overlook that little detail. <laughs> but as Jason transitions with the Abbots to go love on this church in Chicago that needs a pastor, um, that ending here of his pastorate is an opportunity to begin a new beginning there. And in a sense, a new beginning for us as well. Just as Jesus ascending to the throne of the universe is a new beginning. Again, you've got to overlook that detail here of the parallel. We don't talk much about the ascension. Though it is a pivotal moment in redemptive history. Earlier in the service we recited together the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I was just going to read it myself, but we read it so well earlier. I want to read, let's, let's just have us all read it together. If that'd be okay, if we can toss it on the screen. And, and as we do, it's just a portion, kind of the middle meaty portion of it. I want you to be noticing the verbs. Now, verbs are action and doing words. And I want you to notice not just the verbs, but the tense of verbs. So the tense of verbs is when they happen. So uh, past tense is I ran. Present tense, I run. Future tense, I will run. So let's read this together, beginning with I believe. So I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. There's a screen up there for me. Conceived, past tense. Born, past tense. Suffered, past tense. Crucified, dead, buried, descended. All simple past tense. Then he arose and ascended, which is past tense. Then what do we have? Is seated. Is, is present tense. The ending of the ascension begins a new era. The era of Jesus Christ sitting at his father's right hand. Conceived, born, lived, died, buried, rose, ascended, sits. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 3, we read that Jesus is the one who has gone into heaven and in his is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subject to him. That's good news. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of his father until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. It's a weird phrase to say. Except that's exactly what Jesus said as he was going to the cross on probably what was a Tuesday as he's discussing passages with the religious leaders. He speaks in Luke chapter 20 of Psalm 110 of that he is going to sit at his father's right hand until the father makes all of his enemies a footstool for his feet. That's good news for believers. And not only that, but from heaven Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. To live inside us and among us so that we have the power to live the Christian life. And what is one significant part of the Christian life? There are many parts to the Christian life. But one of them is witnessing to others about the goodness of our God. 
I want to read again the ending of the Gospel of Luke. This time I want to draw from Jason's passage last week. Beginning, I guess, what is verse 46. Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is what he said to them. And notice the witnessing language now in this passage. Thus it is written, Jesus said, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Right there, connecting, witnessing, and power, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Luke ends his gospel with the ascension of Jesus while the disciples worship God with great joy. Which leads to witnessing disciples. That is those who make much of Jesus first in the temple and then to the ends of the earth. I don't know all that this transition of pastors means for us. But I do know that one thing God would want for us and want for the abbots and want for this church in Chicago. God wants us to be his glad and worshipful witnesses wherever he has placed us. I know that sermons where a pastor stands up and then tells other Christians to go tell others about Jesus is, in a sense, such an expected thing in sermons, such an expected application. I know that at times in my own ministry, I've backed off from making that application. And I'm sorry for that. We ought not neglect The encouragement to share Jesus with others. If Jesus has changed you, if he has filled you with good news of great joy, tell somebody. Tell lots of somebody. We mentioned Vacation Bible School at the start. That would be such a practical way to love the children in this community who need to hear about Jesus, not once, but lots and lots of times. While I was studying to be a pastor, dear friends of mine um, asked me about a controversial aspect or topic in Christianity. It doesn't really matter which one, because there are plenty of them, I suppose. Uh, but they were asking me about it, and what do you think about that? And in some ways, they weren't really asking. They were sort of just telling me what they thought about it. And I said, I, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that at the time, but but I said, can I think about that and get back to you? Would it be okay if I sent you something later? And they said, it, it would. And so that topic, it, it sort of just got sunk into me. It was like God put me on this mission to, to read and write about it. And I was reading this stack of books I thought I agreed with and a stack of books I didn't think I agreed with, but I want to read them anyway and make sure and sort all this out. And as I started to craft this email back to him, I was like, this is way longer than any email should be. And so uh, my wife was like, well, you should ask 
seminary professor to see if you get credit for all this work you're doing. So I asked to not do just one credit hour independent study, but I said, can we just even double it and do a two credit hour independent study on this topic with the goal of writing a Sunday school curriculum for a local church? And so that's what I did. I ended up during that season was, was privileged to teach it at a few different churches, just as the one I was attending where I did an internship one summer. Anyway, I don't know if my friends ever read it. At least if they did, they never told me they did. Now Luke wrote to this man, Theophilus, laboring over his words, trying to just just get him just right. And as I said before, though the book is written to him, or at least dedicated to him, we don't know much about him. But I'd like to think that he read it and was changed by it and became a worship-filled witness to Jesus Christ. We don't know. But I do know that we've been reading it. We've been preaching it. Luke has taken us by the hand and led us through all of it, ancient Israel showing us the sites where the Messiah walked and where the Messiah preached and where the Messiah lived and where the Messiah died and where the Messiah wrote and where the Messiah ascended to heaven and where, in a sense, he now sits. The disciples had a difficult road ahead of them. But they knew their Lord was seated on the throne. And they knew the one who was seated on the throne would return. And every day between that day And the day of today, Luke wants us, as he wanted them, to be worshipful witnesses to Jesus Christ. I invite you to pray with me as we have the worship team come back up and close us in one more song. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, all the sermons... All the applications, all the knowledge of Christ, all the verses, all the parables, all the miracles. Your substitutionary atonement in our place, on our behalf. Your glorious resurrection from the dead. Your post-resurrection appearances to the disciples as you opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. Your ascension to the throne of the universe. May we behold you in new and fresh ways this morning. And even if just for a moment, may this morning be a time to forget all the cares and worries and frustrations and doubts we might have. And they would be swallowed up in faith and joy and in confidence in who you are for us in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray.